So this is Margit. Um, I'm the 4B show with Margit. Margit, there's not that many Margits. Um, and today we're going to talk about public speaking. And I have a bunch of awesome people to join me for this conversation. First up is Ritu, who is the CEO of Zoom, and she'll tell us um, what that is. Uberfocus. Oh my God, I can still use this. Um, Anyhow, thank you for joining us, Ritu. And then we have my friend Amir, who is the CEO of Mixpanel and who was at Twitter before. Both of them have worked with Matt Abrams on public speaking. Matt Abrams is the coach extraordinaire. Um, he's coached me and all of our people and my kid, as I just mentioned. And he also teaches at Stanford. So if you can't get to Stanford and see him there, you can hire him if, if he has time. He's taught many of the major speakers. Um, and we have my buddy, Tina, who is my partner in crime on the 4B show. So hi, Tina, and thank you for helping us get the show on the road. Um, Matt, I'm gonna open up with you. And so the word is that public speaking is the top fear or one of the top fears um, that everybody has. And I wanna know why. And then I want to know, like this hack that everybody talks about, just imagine the audience naked. Does that really work? So let's start there. <laughs> so let, I'll answer the second question first. No, don't do that. That's only going to make you more nervous. Can you imagine what that would be like? Um, <laughs> it's a little I, distracting, is, I think. A little it certainly would be. Uh, but that's the old Brady Bunch tip, right? Uh, but there, there is something to be said about visualization and how visualization can help you feel less nervous. But visualizing people in their underwear is not the, not the way to do it. Um, so to answer your first question, I- Matt, you're so modest, you kept the underwear on. So I appreciate yeah, that. I appreciate that's that. That's right. It's the only shot at this. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, so many academics, myself included, believe that this is innate to humans. Uh, and, it, and it boils down to the fact that we as a species are very worried about our status. And when I say status, I'm not talking about how many people like your posts that you have on social media or who drives the fancier car, but it's really about relative status in an organization, in a unit. And as our species was evolving, where you were in your status meant everything. It meant food, shelter, reproduction access. And if you were in jeopardy of losing your status, you were in dire situations, literally could die from it. So it's ingrained in us to be very concerned about our status. And one of the riskiest things we do to increase our status is be in front of other people. And if we mess that up, at least from an evolutionary perspective, it had dire consequences. So many of us believe it's ingrained in us. Now that doesn't mean we can't change it, manage it, learn to deal with it, but that's why it's so prevalent. It's prevalent in every culture. It starts right around the teenage years when people begin to feel social and be part of a, a social community. So we, we think there's an evolutionary origin to it. Well, that also means it's a permanent employment act for folks like you. <laughs> Thankfully. That's right. It keeps me in business. That's true. So if it's literally in our DNA, then we have, yes. have little choice. So, um, so okay, I'll ask you one more question and then we'll get others involved. How did you get into this business? <laughs> so uh, this is now my embarrassing story. So I... I Ooh, good one. Yes. So as a 14-year-old boy, a freshman in high school, uh, very first day of my English class, Mr. Meredith, I remember it very vividly, had each of us tell, get up and stand up in front of the class and say, what did we do that past summer? So I stood up, Abraham's coming first in the alphabet, I always went first. At the end of class, he came up to me and said, you're good at this talking thing, you need to go to this speech tournament this Saturday. 
So first Saturday of, of school, I do what my English teacher said. I show up. I had prepared a speech on karate. I was told to do something that's important, do a speech on something important to me, karate and martial arts I'm still involved in. I get ready to give my speech on an early Saturday morning. Large room, lots of my friends. My parents' friends are judges. The girl I like is in the room. I'm prepared to start my speech, but I am so nervous I forgot to put on my special karate pants. And you know, karate pants have a little extra room. Margaret, you know where this is going. I start my speech with a karate <laughs> have kick. Some sense. Go for it. I, I start my yeah. Talk about being in your underwear in front of people. I start my speech with a karate kick. I rip my pants from belt loop to zipper in the first ten <laughs> seconds of a ten minute speech. And it is from that moment on, uh, I have been fascinated with how anxiety influences people's ability to communicate. And and since then, I've been working on it, studied it in school, etc. But it happened on a Saturday morning. I can tell you the date. I can tell you the time. That's when I became very interested in this because I had a very, very bad experience. Hey, you know what, Matt? I bet you were memorable. Let's go with that. <laughs> I was so. very memorable, yes, and, and got teased a lot. So, uh, Ritu, it sort of feels like, you know, as a CEO and uh, founder on top of everything, you already have status, right? And so what would you worry? Why would you worry about public speaking and how did you sort of decide to work on this and work with Matt? Yeah, so I uh, came to know Matt seven years back at GSB. I had taken a class uh, with Matt. And uh, I'm glad, Matt, even though your experience sounds very horrific that you entered into this area and provided coaching to us. It was just a fabulous and a very memorable and learning class for me, even though I had take, I was always very passionate about what I have learned and communicating to people in the right way so that they get the story and get the points. And still, even as a CEO, you're always worried, like, uh, would you be boring? Would you be educating? Would you be entertaining? Would you lose your crowd? Uh, you're constantly pitching to investors, to your employees, to your team, to people you're hiring. So there are so many levels of different stories and how to target and uh, cater your story at the right time at the right place is something I think having the Matt's guidance really helped me. And actually, Matt, I'll tell you which one of your guidance was very, very helpful. It is the structuring piece of it. Like any anytime I'm in and I have to quickly talk about certain things, uh, how to structure your thoughts very quickly and Matt talks about it, like tell them what and so what and now what. <laughs> I have used it over and over again. Uh, so one of the things for me is always about like catering to the audience and communicating them to the right way in a way they can understand at that moment and st structures help me a lot. And Matt was definitely terrific in that direction. Okay, so structure is really important. Um, Amir, what, how, what was your journey and what matters most to you? Uh, I think it's, for me, the biggest thing has been uh, the ability to really genuinely connect uh, with the audience. I think the, in, and this has been certainly a, a long journey, I would say, um, and in that, you know, you always uh, get up and think, you know, I have to go get from point A to point B, deliver this information to the crowd. Um, and and then a lot of times you just you it's super easy to forget that, you know, in the audience, 
Um, there's a bunch of people who want to be able to emotionally connect to what you have to say. Um, there's so much going through everybody's head, uh, the ability to capture their attention uh, on a personal level, being able to connect with them um, is, is, is almost more important, you know, than the, the depth of pre preparation on the information that you're actually delivering to them. Um, so I think that's, that's been my biggest, uh, uh, learning along the way. Uh, now, obviously doing all those things in, uh, together, uh, has, has, it continues to be work, right. And it's, it's never done as Matt knows. Well, I'm glad you said that and kudos to you guys for admitting that you're actually uh, getting help and practicing like Bill Clinton, I think famously practiced the state of the union for like weeks on end, weeks on end. And he was pretty good at public speaking. He had other flaws, but he, he was very good at this. So I think the the folks who come across as natural geniuses um, put a lot of work in and famously also Obama. I don't want to get all political, but like politicians are a good example. Obama was viewed as terrible um, in the beginning. And then he popped out at this famous Democratic convention and everybody's like, who is that guy? And we like him. So it does take work and practice. Um, I have a question for the group, for anyone, um, is how much do you sort of decide like, okay, I, I'm good at this, I'm less good at this, I'm just going to lean into the format or do you do you sort of contort yourself into whatever the, the thing is? Like, you know, some people might be great at a TED talk and some people should probably not try. Um, what do you guys think about that? And how, how do you do it personally? Well, so I wouldn't do what I do if I didn't think people could learn to be better at communication and adjust and adapt. To me, you have to really take an inventory of what works for you, what are your strengths, and then what are the areas to strengthen, and then figure out how the specific situation, be it a panel, be it a, an interview or a, a big talk, how you can leverage those skills uh, to help you out. Uh, let me give you an example. Some people who are really good at answering questions and feel very comfortable in that get very nervous speaking in front of an audience where they're giving a presentation. So turn it into a series of questions that you answer yourself. So get up there and say, today I wanna to answer five questions. First question is this. So all of a sudden you're playing to your strengths in an environment, a situation that doesn't feel comfortable for you. So I do believe through self-reflection and um, creativity, you can actually hone your strengths and play to them in different environments. Uh, Matt, I have a question about that, though. What if, you know, someone that you're working with, let's say you're a comms person, you're supporting a CEO who's just really shy or introverted or just frankly, just not great, right? To Margaret's point, like, do you try to maybe steer them and say, hey, maybe you should focus on like more blog post writing and other things or, you know, pre-record podcasts where you can sort of be polished versus, you know, big keynote speakers? Or do you try to actually coach them to become like this, this really good speaker? Well, I think any senior leader needs to be thinking about multiple channels of communication and figure out which is most comfortable for him or her. But the reality is this, the expectation as a leader is that you're gonna be able to get up and communicate your point of view. So I would encourage anybody in that comms person position to work with their leader to, to find a way that he or she can play again to their strengths. There are a number of people I coach who, who we, we architect the situation so they do a lot of fireside chats 
instead of stand-up presentations uh, just to make them feel more comfortable. And it works well. It serves the purpose of getting them in front of the folks they need to be in front of, and they don't have to do the formal presentation. So I, I encourage anybody in a supporting role to help those folks find their strengths and find ways to get that out in front of people. And of course, the ultimate irony is that we are here in uh, the clubhouse format, which is the most freeform format of them all, right? So, which is interesting. And that, that I think, has its own quote-unquote challenges, because if, if, you, if you can't banter, and if you can't do the back-and-forth repartee, then clubhouse is probably not your thing, then maybe you should really try for the TED Talk. Um, uh, yeah, we're not you, even talking uh, about the changes that's happened since the pandemic to go from standing in a all hands, you know, in front of the company and going to conferences and now having to deliver, you know, over Zoom. Um, that's been an evolution in and of itself. How's that uh, been for you, both of you? In, uh, for me, it's been uh, honestly like order of magnitude uh, easier in some ways because it it it's the ability to kind of have leveled the playing field uh where everything just feels equidistant you know we have folks from different offices uh and and it almost feels like you're in each other's uh living room right and there's a sense of comfort uh and connection that is uh, a bit harder to establish when you're standing up and everyone else is kind of more distant sitting in a uh, on, on in cafeteria chairs, um, so I think for that, but that that's been definitely um, the the hardest part of the Zoom experience is the not not being able to register as much of the body language um, and the crowd noise and the reactions and kind of the applause and and that stuff is uh, obviously been taken away. I would agree with Amir, like. Uh... It feels more intimate doing the remote conversations. And for me personally, I can focus more on the message and not get distracted by people across the room and various rooms and some people who are remote and you can't even see them. So the advantage is uh, you can focus very well and uh, people can also see you in the camera and very up and close as if you're talking one-on-one -on -one to them. So it feels very personal in terms of providing the messages. Uh, in terms of reaction, I would say I have become more attuned to, in a way, of seeing very minute reactions on the, uh, just by the face of the people and reactions of the people. And so we've gotten used to it. But I know my team really wants to learn public speaking. And one of the things they are more afraid in the remote environment, uh, how would that be perceived when your body is not moving and all that? So it goes both ways. Uh, but overall, it feels more intimate doing remote presentations. I would say yeah. I'd love your opinions on whether it's sort of the same for internal and external audiences, and then a third layer is like actually new audiences, people you don't already know. So I do a lot of uh, meetings almost every day with new audience, uh, people that we don't know and we are getting introduced at the moment. There are three, four people in the team who you have never met and on the spur of the moment, uh, you're introducing and trying to get to know them. I feel remote is fantastic that way because you can break the ice very quickly and people are used to it. Uh, it feels like you're seeing the face right away and there's less nervousness because people feel comfortable in their zone. Uh, wherever they are and there are jokes about like, oh, I'm sitting here or I'm working from there. 
and I don't know whether this will last post pandemic, but uh, it feels like people very quickly break the ice and just get on with what what's there. While when you're in person, it takes a little time for people to adjust and see what's the lay of the land in the room, who's sitting where, where my position is. Uh, that's the advantage I see, even in the people you don't you may not know at all. So for us, so far it seems to be working really well. Yeah, I think you're, it's much more efficient in so many ways. The Zoom format is is very to the point, substantive. Um, the quality of the uh, the presentation, uh, how much real depth there is, how quickly you can get that depth through, I think matters a lot. Um, and I think what you trade off in that is the the, the personal you know connection and uh, you know something that I think we we all miss. And I, I certainly do. Yeah, and I wonder, um, I remember reading Reed Hastings' culture book from a while back. And um, one of the interesting parts was that it's so different whether depending on what culture you're working in. And I wonder how remote or virtual stuff works, say in Brazil or in countries where you know lunch is like an integral part of the experience of like working together. So that'll be interesting to be seen. Um, there's a woman, Maggie, in the audience who is gonna join the firm and she built a, a team of 95 people, all remote, all virtual, way be before we actually thought that was ever gonna be a possibility. So it, it, it definitely can be done for sure. Yeah, Margaret, uh, I mean, uh, for me also, I before uh, I was a very office person, in-person, liked in-person things. But there are advantages to the communications. And, and because all of us are in the same boat, it feels like a level playing field. And uh, testing the water of communications in terms of different modes and slides and docs and things, presentation very quickly and being adaptable to it. Uh, seems like people are developing the skills in a very different way in the remote world. Hey, and, and I wonder is, um... Is this whole virtual, and I don't want to get stuck on the virtual world permanently, but it is the world we live in now. Um, are, is your advice, Matt, uh, changing pretty radically in like, how do you present in a virtual world? And what's your thought on like, oh my God, having these slides and then just a tiny panel of people not really seeing each other. Like what, what are some hacks and tricks there? So in many ways, the advice is the, is the same. The, the things you need to be thinking about, be audience centric, be engaging, be concise and structured, all of that applies. And that applies to speaking and writing as well, where we have to look for, for hacks and ways to, to be engaging, a, a few that come to mind. The, the, first and foremost, we connect to people by reading their faces. We do that in person and we need to present ourselves so people can actually see our faces. So a lot of people don't like to have video on, and I understand that, but when you do turn video on, make sure you fill up about half the screen. Make sure you're well lit. So many people look like they're in the witness protection program when they're on these uh, calls. <laughs> That's what I always so, say. Yeah, Some of my be... colleagues, I'm like, what are you, like you're yeah, in 60 minutes so you in be... your disguise. Right, you wanna be well lit. Raise your camera up so it's at your eye level. Nobody looks good when the camera is below your chin in that angle coming up. 
Uh, look directly at the camera when you talk. It simulates direct eye contact. At least in North American culture, we have this expectation of you look people in the eyes when you talk to them. Now that's hard. So a hack I do, I have a picture of my family. Uh, I tape it right behind my camera. And most days I like my family, so it's pleasant to look at them. And it just trains me and keeps me focused. It's hard to focus on just a camera lens. But just those simple behaviors, being well lit, filling half the screen, looking at the camera, make you look engaged, make you look like you want to be there, and it can, and can keep you involved. So little hacks like that make a big difference. That's an awesome hack. Like the picture, like, because the, oh, wait. Oh, we got a visitor. There's Andrew. Hey, hello, Andrew. Hello. How's it going? How, how are you? We're talking about public speaking, all things. So Andrew, you should know, uh, for those of you who don't know, is a general partner at Andreessen Horowitz. And he, uh, he did, he has done many, many exciting deals um, that are targeted sort of the creator economy. Clubhouse is one of them, Substack is another. And he's done a bunch of other deals. Um, so hi, Andrew. Andrew, how do you feel about public speaking? I know you have a book coming out, so we can do some free Andrew <laughs> advice. Um, the book know, is coming out I'm in the fall. Have, I'm going to have to do a lot of uh, public speaking coming up. Well, I, I, I was going to say, you know, I mean, I think I think um, uh, that there's a there's a funny thing, especially during COVID with all of the um, you know, with, with just the amount of uh, public speaking that's happening on like the, the clubhouses and zooms and everything. It's a very, very different experience. Than doing it in person, um, and so I think that's been you know really interesting, and 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 Matt was really cool to just hear some of the tips that you're talking about, and I, th I think the other one too is just spending a lot of time actually doing public writing, public tweeting, <laughs> you know, just like putting a lot more ideas and thoughts out there, and it seems like all all of uh, you know speaking and writing they they all kind of come you know go hand in hand. Um, and so, yeah, so, so as, as market mentioned, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just in the process of turning in my manuscript for a new book. Um, that's called the cold start problem. It's going to be on, um, you know, network effects. And so as, as part of that, I'm going to end up doing a bunch of public speaking related to, um, you know, podcast interviews and, and that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm gearing up for all that. What I love nice. about what you said, Amir, um, uh, Andrew, sorry, Amir, uh, Ellie talking a second, but like the. The thing about like having a public presence that is so useful if you if you say like okay so this is my writing or tweeting or tweet storming whatever blogging whatever it is it doesn't have to be a book and Andrew's been working on this for three years so it's a lot of work to do a book book but if you have a written body of like here's what you are about then the speaking engagements whatever the TED talk the panel whatever it is tends to be in the right direction. It tends to be on the topic that you actually are an expert in, that you're good at, that you really enjoy. All those things, I think, can go hand in hand. And it's much harder, I think, to work backwards, saying like, okay, so you got invited to do a thing, some speaking engagement, because it's a nice conference and they like you. And then, then work backwards from like, well, what do you want me to talk about? So starting with content and the right message, I think is fundamentally the right thing to do. And then bringing in advice, like tricks from Matt and all of that to go like, okay, so what, how, how do I make this sing and how do I make the audience pay attention? I, and I'll jump in, Margaret. Uh, Andrew, first, congrats on the book. I know what it's like to write a book and it's, it's, a, it's a great feat just to get it out the door. But one of the things I really like that Andrew said is part of this is finding your own voice, what you like to really focus on how you want your tone to come across. And 
writing and interviewing and speaking, all of those let you find your own authentic voice. And, and, and that's a, a great place to start from, especially as you're gearing up for a book tour. So uh, you're exactly right. You become a better speaker by writing, by listening to others speak, and by really exploring what works for you and what doesn't so you find your own voice. Yeah, I was going to say huge, huge plus one to that. And congrats, Andrew. That's awesome. Look forward to uh, the book coming Thank out. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. It's, uh, it's, of course, everybody has to buy thing. the book, right? You got this, you got this message now, right? Yeah. I, well, Margaret, I thought you were going <laughs> to, yeah. I, I thought you guys were just going to ship them out to us. Um, well, look, the, the, the thing, the one, the one addition, I just, just echo both what Matt and Andrew were saying. Um, we've certainly turned a much, much, we've become far more of a writing culture at Mixed Panel, which has been awesome to see. Um, we got Notion um, rolled out last year, um, and I started actually just writing up the topic that I want to talk about at all hands and sending it ahead of time to the company because, you know, some people like to uh, digest the information differently. You know, some like to read, some prefer the, you know, live uh, color commentary. Um, but just taking that time to write the Notion doc ahead of time has helped me tremendously. You know, being able to synthesize your thoughts, you know, writing just forces a level of focus um, that is uh, priceless. And, and the other hack that, you know, on top of what Matt was saying for this Zoom presentation is um, I don't present with slides anymore in, in, in those contexts because people have the visuals, they have the content in the Notion doc, and it just allows us to connect and not have another, you know, uh, another distraction on the screen. I think that's, uh, that's really good advice because it, it's, um, it's, it's all one sauce. Once, once you have, once you know what you want to say, it's also, I think a little therapeutic. I remember writing our blog post about like, okay, so what we're going to do, you just find amazing clarity on all of that. Um, more on the speaking, uh, for all of you, when you do public speaking, it's just assume it's somewhat interactive. And um, how do you deal with like the questions that come in, like the the questions that you love, the questions that you don't love, like the the things you go like, oh my god, they're asking me this. H how is your what's your approach on these? So Q and A is quite possibly one of the most nerve wracking experiences of speaking because you don't know what the person's going to ask and you don't know if you have the answer to it. So two things I would suggest very quickly. One is your approach. Many of us get very defensive during Q&A. We feel like we're being challenged or threatened. And part of it is to just re-envision what the opportunity is. It, it is a true opportunity. Questions are actually offers. They are offers for you to expand, to expand, extend, to clarify. So offers or questions can be offers. And if you see it that way, it changes your demeanor. It changes your nonverbal presence. It allows you to answer more calmly and confidently. And when it comes to answering a question, it is critical to be concise and clear. I have a format that I teach everybody when it comes to answering questions, and it's very simple. It's, it's, it has an acronym ADD. You answer the question, you give a detailed example that supports the answer, and then you describe the value to the person who asked the question. So think about the way that you 
package your answers is as important as what you say in your answer. As, as Ritu alluded to, structure is really, really important. So approach and structure can make a big difference in how you handle your questions. One other thing I was going to say, working with you, Margaret, has been um, just how valuable preparation is for, for Q&A and for public speaking. I think, you know, that's one of the big differences, um, you know, prior to coming to, to, to the firm is if I did public speaking, I'd kind of just wing it and it'd be its own thing and, and that can be fun. Uh, but when you're when you're speaking with uh, uh, you know a large group that includes journalists and includes um, you know other other industry analysts and and you really want to make sure that you have um, great concise answers, then um, you know of course like actually you know practicing some of the answers, thinking through what are the likely questions people are going to ask, um, really really uh, you know calms me down at least and uh, you know makes me feel good about um, you know what I'm trying to convey. I would say uh, preparation for Q&A uh, actually starts uh, way before uh, you even think about the topic uh, f uh, for your audience. Like I'm constantly testing my ideas and story over and over again. It's almost like a bar test, like what, what parts of the story is resonating, what causes question, where did I lose people? And based on that, I have extensive Q&A uh, planned out, like what are the questions or what are the tricky questions people can potentially ask, especially in my business where risk is one of the things that comes to people's mind and people can ask pretty tricky questions on that. Uh, and second thing to add to what Matt and Andrew said is uh, like, Audience is genuinely curious if you treat them like they're genuinely curious about your solution instead of thinking they're trying to question you or something. It changes the whole attitude about answering the question and it becomes more like a conversation or extension of your presentation. Uh, to me, it seems like more the questions, more the audience is engaged uh, in, in terms of your topic, in terms of extending everybody's understanding in the audience about it. So it just viewing the Q&A very differently and being prepared about it. And, uh, and if you, in the end, if you don't know the answer, you acknowledge uh, the question, you tell them what you know, and just move on to the next thing and say, I agree with that. And, or what you're saying makes sense, but I'm curious about something else. And you, you just go back to the topics that you need. So knowing certain tips and tricks, which actually Matt taught us, uh, is very effective in Q&A. Yeah, Rita, you just put your finger on sort of the art of the redirect and the art of like, okay, so they get to answer whatever you, they get to ask whatever they want, but you also are in charge of the answer, right? So combining the both, like it's a gift, it's an offer, the question, but it's also you are in charge of what you answer. This is particularly true when you have hostile questions that are truly, truly difficult where you don't have an exact answer, say in a crisis situation. Um, okay. Amir, I think you had your microphone off and wanted to say something. I was just going to echo the point on preparation. I think it's the number one reason why sometimes people feel like if they prepare or feel like they don't want to be, they don't want to come across as scripted. They want to look, come across as authentic, real. Um, and I think there's just like a, a that that's couldn't be further from reality in a sense that when you do the preparation, when you do the work ahead of time, it's really, um, you're doing it out of respect, you know, to the, to the audience. Um, you're doing it out of the fact that if you're getting from the company, this is probably one of the most high leverage, most impactful moment that you have with the entire company, right? Whether you're doing it once a week, once every two weeks or whatever frequency, 
Um, it's just a, I couldn't uh, echo that sentiment more um, that the time you put in is, is gonna uh, ultimately show in, in the five, 10, 20 minutes you have um, to ultimately deliver what you're delivering to the company. It's almost to the level of unconscious competence. So you have, you've been constantly practicing your area of interest and topic to an extent that moment somebody asks the question, it's almost, you know it and you can answer it right away. So yes, preparation, preparation really helps in being natural on the contrary to what people may think, like they will come as scripted. The more the preparation, the more natural you can be. I mean, part of what I heard in the question is, is how do you give yourself time to get your bearings? And I think probably one of the top two valuable communication tools is the ability to paraphrase. And, and Margaret is, if you've listened, has been doing a great job of that, and where you, you take extract meaning from what somebody has said, you reframe it in your own words. This buys you time and it allows you to move it in a direction that you feel more comfortable responding to. I think everybody who is in a position where you will be taking questions, facilitating meetings, uh, needs to be able to be comfortable paraphrasing, finding something of value in what somebody has said restate it, buying yourself time to respond. The other trick is to ask questions. So if somebody throws something your way, you're not sure how to respond, you need to get your bearings, come back with a question or two that can buy time for you to think and to reorient. So paraphrasing and questioning, I think can be helpful there. Given the internet and everybody talking and whatnot, like if you have a different message to the employees versus to your investors, to your this and that, it tends to fall apart and it tends to um, be inauthentic. There's a sort of slightly different question is like in a broader marketing context, if you have different audiences, who do you market to? And I think that it also, it ultimately is sort of what gets you to the money, right? In our case, we market to the entrepreneurs, not to our LPs. If we know the LPs, we can call them up. And if we make good investments, they will stick with us, right? So you know, Google doesn't really market to advertisers, they market to the users, right? So is that, but like, if you're inconsistent, I think it tends to fall apart. Margaret, uh, from my perspective, like 60 to 70% of your presentation should be the same. Your story, your founding story, your value proposition, why you matter, what you're doing. And surprisingly, we sometimes underestimate our audience, like e even our engineers, like they love to know the high level picture, end-to-end -end picture, so that they are able to deliver what they are doing way better. So once people get that higher context, it's easier to drill down and then cater to maybe 30% of the message, which may be different for different audience, for example. If we are talking to our customers after the same message, we might do a demo. If we are talking yeah. to engineers, we may talk about the importance of the product and why this matters really, why customers need it, what is the position in the market we would gain if we have this specific product. If we have investors, we may give financial projections and forecast or something. So more or less the message, as rightly Margaret pointed out, remains the same. And, and that's the beauty of it. The more you practice, the better it gets. And... Uh, you can see okay. like a uh, different audience can connect the dots very clearly. You, you're highlighting uh, a perennial problem, which is how do you target your message appropriately, especially when you have an audience that's mixed? 
So it, it boils down first and foremost to understanding the audience. Most communicators start in the wrong place. They start by saying, here's what I want to say versus what does my audience need? And just that fundamental shift changes the way you think about your communication. If you have an audience that is disparate in knowledge or experience, and they're all in the same room, defined room in person or virtual, you, you need to acknowledge it. You need to say, we've got people in lots of different levels present together. I'm going to start at a rudimentary place or foundational place, and I'll get to the more detailed information shortly. Simply by acknowledging who's in the room gives you credibility. And second, those who are expecting or know more information, uh, they could, they, they're put on notice that they're going to wait just for a little bit before you bring them the information that's relevant to them. If you don't do that, then they think you're just starting in the wrong place and they're going to tune out. So being able to recognize it by doing your homework up front and acknowledging it, I think, are the, the keys there. But it goes back to what Margaret and Ritu both said. It's, it's having a consistent message, thinking about how you would word that message differently, perhaps based on who's listening. But you have to start from their needs and your consistent uh, approach to get to where you need to be. And what I like about this, Matt, is that you are basically including them in the conversation, right? They're like, you know, you are all here. You you make you're drawing a wider circle and make them make them part of it. I like that a lot. Thank you. Inclusion is critical. Yeah, I actually this is probably a tip I got from Margaret way back when she may or may not remember ever giving it to me. But there was a just this sentiment of never lose ultimately what what's comfortable for you and who you are is always how you're going to best perform and keeping that. Uh, consistent, whether you're speaking to the company, whether you're speaking to the board, whether you're speaking to your customers, and, you know, it's all um, the, the, it doesn't change uh, the way in which you're at your best in presenting. And when you keep that consistent, um, it, 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 it works, you know, the message, I mean, we, we ultimately shifted or for the last several years, um, we actually, at the end of every quarter, we take the board deck and we present it to the company. Um, so the, the company gets the same level of context that the board has in some ways is the best synthesis we have for the business um, and elevates everyone to the same place. Uh, and, and, and I think that ends up being so much more uh, uh, also just comfortable as a CEO makes my life so much easier. You know, I can, it's like you, you show up, it's just, you're, you're able to consistently be yourself. Exactly. <laughs> you don't have to feel like I have to context switch, you know, from this, this uh, meeting to this meeting and have to present a different front. Um, so I think it makes your life easier. And I, I found it to be much more effective. Uh, from me, the things at my company was easier because my story and, the company was weaved in to start with, but this is amazing question because over the time the company evolved and the story evolved and continuing to represent that story uh, while uh, from it has come a long way from where you started is, is, is actually being passionate and enthusiastic about it. To me, I, if you are inherently you're passionate and enthusiastic, it's very infectious and it can actually overcome a lot of hurdles on style and language and other things. So I always try to relate the fact that you're working in certain area, I'm assuming you're interested in some parts of the area or user persona or something about that product or solution, always try to see what is it about that 
a solution that you personally resonate with? Or is there a customer story that you personally resonate with that you can repeat to the audience and connect with them? Uh, so for my style is very storytelling style. I tend to move towards it. And that's one of the tips. You can try that and see. Like I, I, In the past, I've worked in larger companies like Oracle and eBay, and I would just pick a persona, like seller persona or one of my customer persona and see if those are the stories I get enthusiastic about when I tell to the audience and uh, lean on those to create a sense of uh, comfort for myself and enthusiasm in the audience. Rita, it sounds like you do a lot of trial and error and a lot of sort of <laughs> A-B testing, if you will, and I love it. I think that's fantastic. With that, I want to thank you guys most sincerely for um, giving us an hour of your very valuable time and answering lots of questions. I want to thank the audience for um, dialing in, apping in, I don't even know, but for being part of the Clubhouse show. And maybe we'll see you next week. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.